0: Hey guys, welcome to the next episode of the Challenger 2 podcast. And of course, this is the post Koblenz episode, so we're going to have some special content. Although, uh, admittedly, we have less of that than usual. I think we're going to have like five short interviews, and they're not going to be maybe with the players that you expect sometimes. But well, um, the reason for that, and maybe you can hear it as well. I don't know how well you know my voice by now after 150 whatever episodes we're on. But um, what I'm trying to say is that unfortunately, I got a bit sick during the week. I'm still, uh, you know, runny nose, cough everything Uh, I don't know if it's going to be heard at any point like if I'm going to have a you know, maybe I'm gonna cough a little on the the episode, I don't know, but what I'm trying to say is that around Friday, Saturday, I basically stopped approaching players because it was just, well, I I would be able to physically, like I'm able to talk and I'm able to talk to you right now, despite it being maybe like a little uncomfortable. However, I just didn't wanna give them anything, right? (laughs) Because honestly, if, if they felt like I do today or yesterday, and I'm recording this on Sunday evening, by the way, still before leaving Koblenz, I don't think they would be able to play or like perform at the very best level. Definitely not. So basically, that was the intention. I just figured, okay, I don't want to mess up any player's season and you know their next couple of weeks. So I should probably limit whoever I'm, you know, the the volume, the amount of people I'm talking to, and that's what I did. And um, but yeah, we still have some content. You know, it's it's not the end of the world. And we are, of course, going to start in Koblenz because that's what we do. Uh, we start with the event. Well, we also, also always start with the biggest event, which is Koblenz. But we also always start with the, well, we make an exception for the events where I attend. And, of course, in this case, the the event that I attend and the biggest event is the same. So, yeah, let's, uh, let's head to Koblenz challenger 100 of course and uh by the way uh, the tv production that you saw apparently this isn't like in the past like the multiple cameras from a national tv this is actually an atp challenger tour type of deal and apparently there's going to be like 60 70 tournaments this year that will get this sort of tv production and Koblenz was the first Now I'm sort of, uh, you know, uh, angry that I didn't get to enjoy this on stream because I was watching it the stands. Of course, I'm joking, but um, apparently there's going to be a lot more events which are going to be this well produced. So, you know, that's amazing. And um, I know from some other people um, that uh, have been watching the streams that they were really enjoying them as well. So, yeah, I mean, let's, let's keep going. And I'm glad that the Challenger Tour is improving also in that way. Anyway, um, when it comes to Koblenz, we had a top seed final, actually, which only happened seven times on the Challenger Tour last year, but we had it twice this week, which is quite surprising. But yeah, Yuri Rodionov against Brandon Nakashima, and it's Yuri Rodionov claiming the title. So maybe let's start with the interview that we had with Rodionov, which was right after his second round win against Valentin Royer. Um, Here we go. Um, until 7-6, uh, uh, sorry, not 7-6, but 4-0 in the first set tiebreak, it was really tight. Then he missed that put-away volley and you were able to like take over completely from that point, right?
1: Well, I mean, uh, he was serving on 4-0 and uh, obviously we missed that easy volley and then uh, I was able to serve out uh, the, uh, the tie break, uh, throughout the whole match. I was serving very consistently. I think I made like 10, ten aces or something and I was feeling very comfortable on the serve. So, yeah, 5-4, thir- uh, I was able to put two first serves in and, uh, yeah glad that uh, i was able to win the first set so. you didn't travel to australia this year was this an injury and if so are you better now um no it wasn't an injury it was just uh, the case that i wasn't ready uh, i wasn't mm. fit uh, to play australia because i was playing until uh, december in uh, japan and there i wasn't feeling uh, quite well i i got sick there and then when i got back home uh, i took rest for 10 days and then if I would have played Australia, I would have had just maybe 10 to 12 days of practice mm-hmm. and uh, it was just not enough. So. I decided with my team uh, that it would be better uh,
0: to, to to postpone the beginning of next season. And you managed to break the top 100 last year, but you were only there for one week. So do you feel like you didn't fully like you know take all the benefits of that, like making some main draws and etc.
1: Well, definitely. I mean, that's a big uh, big note that I, I wasn't able to uh, play in a grand slam main draw. I think that's the biggest. Uh, Difference and uh, obviously this week uh, I think I have the chance to break into the top 100 again and uh, I will try my best to do it again. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Yeah, and uh, when it comes to Rodionov. I think um, the the it, an interesting bit there was definitely why he missed the Australian Open because we all just assumed that it was an injury and I mean it was a physical issue in, in a way, right, the illness, but it's interesting to sort of just know that it actually wasn't anything like injury specific and then he just decided that he has to postpone his season because he didn't get too much practice in the offseason and of course in uh, Othinielu just just the week before Koblenz, he loses to Wessler in two sets so it wasn't a great start, but then in Koblenz he was actually really impressive, and this is I I can't really stress enough how important this is for Rudionov as well, because you you heard it on the interview as well, but um, we mentioned that he only had one week in the top 100 in 2023. And he was at number 100. He didn't use it to enter like any slam main draws. He basically didn't take any advantages from being in the top 100. So of course, it's a monumental feat. Of course, it's a fantastic achievement for a tennis player. But you also want to like reap the rewards. And Rodionov was never able to do that. And I think now he gets the first chance ever to stabilize at the ATP level. I don't know if he's going to do it. I, I'm sort of like 50-50 on it. I don't think he's going to be rocking the world on the main tour. But is he capable of some wins? Of course. He has this famous one against Shapovalov a few years ago in Vienna. I think he was really good in Astana last year. So, you know, it is possible for Rodionov to do something on the main tour. Obviously it is. And I'm just glad that he's having this chance. And honestly, he was a, a really, you know, a pleasure to watch this week. He beat Novak, Royer, Moleker, Travalia and Nakashima. At least two occasions, uh, Moleker and Nakashima, he faced a player who up until that point was looking, well, maybe if not unbeatable, then like his pace, their, their pace, their weight of shot was very tough to deal with. And Rodionov actually handled them like pretty easily. Rodionov, um, you know, he, he has such a weird game to sort of classify and sort of put into one play style, right? Because he has these aggressive days when he's just blasting big serves and huge forehands and then at the same time he also has these counter punching sort of waiting around days And I think that the best, obviously, is the combination between the two. Probably a little more into the aggressive side than his natural mode is. However, this week, I think he really balanced this perfectly. The way he played against Moleker, uh, sort of targeting the weaknesses, but at the same time still actually relying a lot on just being used to the sort of pace that Moleker brings to the court. And also against Nakashima, that was such a fascinating final, even if it was a bit of a dud in in the last two sets. Because um, Rodionov comes out of this playstyle and game plan, which is very clear. I mean, to target the forehand, I think sometimes even too much, because he was sort of expecting Brandon's forehand to just feed him errors. And it's not that bad. Like, it's, it's not going to give you something like every single time and then you know sometimes he would he would get burned by this but at the same time he was also just trying to grind down nakashima like he basically is is a very good mover of course very efficient mover on the defense he has these lefty spins that he can make uh, the opponent uncomfortable with and i think that rodionov played it very well in the opening set it's just that he couldn't really match brandon on serve and after losing the opener, which was super tight by the way, in 79 minutes, and probably the biggest flow for Rodionov was the 6-5 set point where he misses a forehand. It's a it's an unforced error. But then he actually felt like he was the one who had to finish the points earlier because he was clearly tired. And he that's that's how he loses the opening set tiebreak, actually. So I thought that he's done, you know? I thought that okay, so 79 minutes. And he is looking really tired, so I don't think he's gonna win this much. I mean, how how would he do that? Uh, it's clear that he had a good game plan, but after losing such a drag, such a slog of a set, how is he gonna do it? And it was clear for him as well eventually that he was gonna have to attack more. As we learned later, Nakashima, despite having a good poker face, he was actually as fatigued as Rodionov and probably even more in the first set tiebreak, apparently, because after, like, five games in the second set, Nakashima broke down completely. But it was still positive for Rodionov to, like, recognize that he has to adjust the initial, um, you know, game plan that he had for this match. And, um, yeah, I think he played some excellent tennis again until sort of choking in the last game, but it didn't matter because Brandon was so out and he was also up a double break. But there were a few sensational shots still. I remember this pass very, very smart. It's like almost a lob with how much spin he hits on it. But, uh, well, he did have a lot of passing shot practice in the last two sets because Brandon being very tired would net rush quite a lot. But, yeah, as a whole, this is a very impressive week for Rodionov. This is his seventh challenger title. He's been winning them since 2018, I think 2019 and 21 has been have been the only years when he missed out on a challenger title since and uh, obviously he's been one of these players who has been like stuck between the challenger and ATP tour level. He's been uh, in the top 150 but not the top 100 for the past 4 years or so. This is his moment. This is his chance. Let's see if he takes it. He actually defends a fair amount of points in March But if he can just keep putting in some results, you know, maybe stick around and then play some ATP Tour events, for example, in clay where I I mean, he's an all surface player. He can he can play anywhere. I don't know. I mean, uh, let's see if he does it. I'm really glad that he's getting this chance because uh, he has clearly like over the years deserved it and he had a fantastic week here in Koblenz. And now let's talk about the finalist, Brandon Nakashima. Uh, one thing to mention is that he's been, of course, a machine on the challenger level, semifinals in the last six appearances... So, Bergamo lost to uh, Draper, uh, Danderit lost to Marterer, Canberra lost to Menshik, Tenerife he wins the title, uh, Otinielu Volanev he makes the semi finals again, loses to Ridi, and now he loses in the final to Rodionov. But uh, also, it has to be said that like him getting tired is perfectly understandable because he was going for his third week in a row. So, Tenerife he wins the title, the semi final in Belgium, and now the final. So, it's like 14 matches in 21 days, I believe. Um, I I counted this earlier, I think that's correct, but um, of course you can sue me if it's not. But anyway, uh, yeah, Brandon I think throughout the week it was just the same story as recently him on the Challenger Tour. Like, you gotta be pretty special to even come close. People don't really trouble him, because they are just overwhelmed with the constant weight of shot, pace, heaviness that he hits with. And he he does play at the challenger level right now, like a bit of a see-a-ball, crack ball tennis, but it's it's in a good way. And he beat Morokanias, Krajinovic, whom I'm, I'm also going to talk about uh, later, because of course he came back this week, Reberk and uh, Nav. Uh, Nav, obviously a big story, but we're gonna get to it in a second. And then he loses to Rodionov, which I think is perfectly fine. Now he gets a week off. I know he was also signed up for a couple of more challengers in February. Cherbourg and Paul, I think. I don't know if he's gonna play them. Personally, I think it's like a 50-50, whether he should or not. But what I like about this sort of go heavy at the challengers right now approach is that he's built himself up a bit of a cushion. And now when he's like 80-ish in the world again, he can probably hit the main tour, let's say in March, you know, full time and have a lot of ability to like, I don't know, lose a few times and not worry about it. Which, as we know, is a very powerful tool. And like, if he actually has the ability to lose a few times and not worry about it, he's probably not going to, you know, he's probably going to play quite freely and and manage to pull it off. So um yeah I think it's a it's a great opportunity for Brandon. We said at the beginning of the season he was gonna return to the top one hundred he's done it in tri- triumphant style absolutely and uh yeah uh, and this is this is actually a player that I would have been very bummed not to have spoken to and I haven't this week however, we recently had him on in Dundeted so if anyone wants to uh listen to me talking to Brandon a bit. Um, you know, you can you can return to that episode, uh, this is definitely, like, th- this is the only player that I really would have regretted not having this week, uh, because of my, uh, yeah, because of my sickness, I I didn't go to him after, like, round one or two, I figured, okay, I'm gonna talk to him after the Reberg match, but but by then I was already sick enough that I'm like, no, I mean, I don't wanna risk, you know, destroy his season by by talking to Nakashima, uh, I actually recorded uh, like a post-match, you know, on the court thing that they had there, uh, where someone, the, the announcer would simply ask a couple of questions to Brandon. But honestly, they were so basic that um, I don't feel like it's it's even worth including. I, I also don't know how good the audio audio quality would be, but I, I don't feel like it's even worth including. But as I said, it, it's not a big deal. We had Nakashima on in Danderit, so uh, I'm fine with that. And uh, yeah just another great run for him, he's clearly above this level, let's see how he handles himself on the main tour very soon. And when it comes to the semi-finalists, let's start with the one we have um, when it comes to the interview, and also the one that was clearly the biggest story, so Hazem Nav. Uh, first, I think I gotta give you a bit of uh, background on him, in, in case you were, you know, asleep the last ca- the last week or so. Basically, so Hazem Nav is a Syrian refugee. In 2017, I believe he escaped. Well, at first it was it was even more tricky because he would like escape to Lebanon, I think with his brother who also played tennis. Um, you know, not much money there. There's that uh, there's this huge story where he was actually uh, hurt by a bomb because he was training next to a Russian embassy, I think. And then he goes to the hospital. He gets back to training like 2 days later because uh, you know, it's it's apparently not that uh, severe, and uh, in 2017, I believe, he uh, migrates, he actually takes refuge in Germany, and he takes refuge in Cologne, where he trains with Oskar Rotte, for example, in the, in the same club, which is gonna sort of be important later, uh, and uh, yeah, has enough ever since, he's been living in Germany, he's been, uh, you know, considering it his second home, let me actually give you the interview right now, which is after his quarter-final win against Denek Kolasz, uh, what a magical week for you I mean, becoming the first player from the Serie A to win the Challenge of match. Now we are also in the semi-finals. <laughs> uh, I cannot
1: uh, cannot believe that I'm, staying, I'm uh, standing tomorrow for the uh, semi-final of the Challenger. It's my first, uh, second Challenger in Mendo and I made it so far here. Um, trying to enjoy give my best every match and see what happens, nothing to lose.
0: And Germany is not just another country you're playing with, right? This has been your second home basically for years.
1: Yes, Germany is my second home. Um, I appreciate I have a lot of friends who came today to support me, so I felt like home, like uh, like my home today. And
0: not only your friends, but maybe yesterday it was a bit different because you're playing a German, but today it feels like, like the whole yeah, crowd basically yeah, accepted yeah, you yeah, as theirs. Yeah, yeah. Since I live in Cologne, it's one hour from here, so I know most of the people.
1: Thank you. Well,
0: yeah, and when it comes to Nav, uh, he started the week with qualifying, beating Gerasimov, which was a bit of a surprise, Agamenone, and then in the opening round, he was playing to become the first player from Syria to ever win a Challenger Major match, and he did it over Billy And then he wins that insane match against Ote, as I said, that's going to be important that uh, they were sparring partners before, that they trained with each other before, because he plays Ote, and it's an insane match. I mean, Ote definitely blows it a little bit. I mean, he was 6-2, 5-3, thirty love up on serve and then loses eight points in a row. But still, I mean, Nav was just having a magical week. Lots a huge support group with him, but even as you probably heard on the interview, like at at some point the whole crowd basically accepted him as as German, you know, and they were supporting him as German. And of course he speaks German uh, better than English, I think even maybe. And uh, by now, and um Yeah, that that was that was really the the story in terms of how his week transpired. When it comes to sort of what we saw on the court, he definitely has insane touch. You know, the drop shots, the lobs, the passes, you could really like it. And the slow conditions in Koblenz, because I I don't think I've said it before on this episode yet. But the courts are pretty weird. Like it 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 does have a low bounce, it does have an indoor-ish bounce. However, they kind of sit up in the, you know, in the spot, in in one spot after impact, the balls. And also it's slow, Uh, especially center feels very slow. Um, Daniel Michalski, you know, the Polish player who lost in the first round here after qualifying, he told me that it's actually not as, like the difference between court one and center court isn't as big. However, he thinks that they play a bit different because when the court is so much bigger, you kind of tend to fall back behind the baseline a bit more. Whereas on court number one, you know, you don't have as much space and you have to go for it a little bit more. Which actually makes sense. It's an interesting way of looking at it as well, uh, which um, you know I never really thought of something like that. But but well, um, that's that that's an interesting perspective from a player that I got this week um that's not going to be you know in any interview because we we did that in Polish of course but anyway uh Oscarotte that was a big win of course for Hazem uh, I think even against Harris, he already showed me that he actually has some pretty decent hand talent which I didn't really notice in his previous appearances at the Challenger level the previous matches that I watched because he was actually both in Danderit and Ismaning so the two events that I uh, traveled to at the end of last year. However, these conditions, they just didn't really suit him that much. You know, it was super fast in Ismaning, of course, on Carpet. And then uh, also Danderit, I don't think it was as good for him as Koblenz. Whereas here he he did have a lot of fun sort of to dictate for himself. And also when, uh, when he had that sort of magical feeling to his run already, I think he was really good at using it. You know, he really made it clear that he was playing with house money and he like didn't stress about stuff. He was like really having fun out there. And I think it showed in his game a lot of times as well. The quarterfinals against Dennek Kolash, who by the way is usually really good on these courts in Koblenz. He made the semifinals last year beating Miller and Zhang, Alexandre Miller of course. And uh, this time he loses to Nav very easily, and I think Nav, the inventiveness, the creativity that he has, it really showed up big time in this match, because we know that Kolash sort of likes this one baseline rhythm, right? And uh, he likes to stick with it, sort of just just dictate with that heavy forehand, and that's it. I mean, he, he will throw a drop shot, throw in a drop shot from time to time, but he just likes this one uh, sort of monotonous pace of play. And Nav doesn't give you that. And honestly, even against Nakashima in the semis, he actually came pretty close. I think six three seven five. In the second set, it kind of doesn't do him justice, because up until 5-all, he was maybe even the better player. He was actually dictating a lot, surprisingly. He wasn't one of these players who got overwhelmed by Nakashima. So, yeah, where does his, where does this guy land in the long run? I mean, who the hell knows? He's already won an ITF title this year. He lost only to Gensh and to Prihotko in January. So, you know, quality players, I think, I mean, Gench maybe you could say not, but uh, I mean, it was on carpet, right? So I think it, it's definitely fine to, to lose to Gench, Gench on carpet. So in other words, I mean, he's having an excellent start to the year. He's won free ITF titles, I think, before as well, before this year. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see where he goes from here. I think the game is a little worse than the story and the, the run that he had this week. I think there was a lot of sort of magic aura to it. However, obviously, it's nice to have representation from Syria as well. Uh, you know, definitely uh, some, something to look at in terms of one of the most sort of heartwarming, um, you know, story, player stories that we have on the Challenger Tour. And uh, yeah, it was definitely very fun to watch him this week with the atmosphere and how the crowd in Koblenz really treated him as as theirs after some point. And the other semi-finalist was Stefano Travaglia, and I actually really like watching Travaglia anytime I get to do it, he's 32 by now, I don't think he's ever really coming back to the top 100, he was also a bit of a late breakthrough if you guys remember that, because he had an accident early in his career, you know, he was like... Probably not gonna play. That's what the doctor said. But he actually, actually, you know, managed to be in the top 100. But it was again, it was already pretty late, like 27 or something. I know it's not super late, but you know, for a top 100 debut, usually we get them earlier from players. And uh, after after a couple of injuries, now he's been really struggling to return to his best shape, whatever that would be at this stage of his career, really. But I do like watching Travalli every single time because just, he just makes things so elegant, smooth on the court. Uh, I have a lot of sentiment as well for him because he won one of the first challengers I attended in 2019 in Sopot. And he was like really ahead of the field there, only losing one set against Horansky in the final. And here he beats Agamendone, Marie, Martin Dam in a crazy quarterfinal which I think I can already mention, even though we're going to have a Martin Dam interview, but he met, he saved four match points in that one, and there was a lot of choking from both players. I think uh, Travalia, for the most part, in sets two and three, was actually the better player off the ground for sure. He was at some point like winning all the baseline rallies, some insane uh, backhand passes as well, but uh, all in all, he still needed Dam to, let's say, screw up fairly majorly to get through, and he didn't really threaten Rodionov. Six three six four doesn't look too bad, but there was one break that Rodionov gave him away on a double fold, but it was at six three five two, so it, you know didn't matter at all. But yeah, it wasn't a close match. He just wasn't at that sort of efficiency level in attack to to beat uh, Rodionov. But as I said, always a fun watch. And over the years, I've been able to watch Travaglia really countless times live. Like he's one of the players that I've seen the most, I think. Um, maybe alongside like Vatutin, Kolash, you know, just some of these guys that basically every other challenger that I I watch, they're, they're there. <laughs> or at least they were there, you know, up, up until recently in the case of Vatutin, who of course is, has fallen off quite significantly. But I think Travalia, even, even at that main tour event that I was at Marseille 2020, he was also there and he was also playing well. I think he almost beat uh, Felix. So uh, yeah, Travaglia is just always one of these players that shows up at uh, many events that I attend, and uh, yeah, and I, I always have a lot of fun watching him. Even if uh, sort of putting in together that putting together that top 100 quality for a few matches now seems a bit out of his range. And yeah, who do we want to talk about when it comes to the quarterfinalists? Actually, I kind of want to talk about everyone. Just briefly, even though we only have one interview out of that, and then we also need to talk about Krajinovic, Klijan, and we have two interviews from second-round losers as well. Uh, yeah, so so there's still a lot of things here, but um, yeah, basically, let's start with maybe the, let's go a little bit more briefly now because we're already at 22 minutes, and that's just the recording, so it's you know not including the interviews. So I guess for you guys, we're already at like 26. But yeah, let's just start talking about this a bit more briefly then. Uh, in the quarterfinals, for example, we had Max-Hans Reberg, who is like an indoor goat. <laughs> you know, he only really does well indoors. Of course, Ismaning being his favorite event, the 2022 final, the 2023 quarterfinal, where we had him on the show. This is also another guy I would be kind of bummed about not having on the show if we didn't have him in Ismaning already, so it's fine. But yeah, I, I do have a lot of fun watching Reberg as well. I always wonder... You know, when, I'm, when I see him indoors or at one of these events, like, why is he ranked 500 or 600? <laughs> and I do think that it's it's a little bit of a BS ranking for him, for sure. He's so scrappy. He has a good first serve. Um, he definitely hits a very, like, mean flat ball that is not easy to attack from. I think against Nakashima, he actually had a very good playstyle to tackle Brandon, but he wasn't ever really gonna, like, execute it with enough efficiency. But still uh it was a good run for him he beat brancaccio and horda sanchez maybe the you know the the draw was quite easy but uh he did play well to to get there and i think even on a on this sort of slow ass indoor court he was able to hold him hold his own it wasn't like ismaning you know when he hits a good first serve and dominates of the ground like it wasn't that type of tennis the defensive qualities of his game actually had to show up significantly more here then uh, Rudolf Molleker, I think also deserves a mention we also had him last year I think in Poznan uh, but um, here in Koblenz he beat Klijan and Blocks and he was like in really amazing form Molleker is an interesting beast because just before this week he lost to Collignon in Belgium 6-1-6-1 6-1. he had a pretty awful loss to Napolitano as well at the Australian Open so you never really know what to expect from him even though he's already so much more consistent than you know the last couple of years And uh, yeah, I still don't know if he's actually going to at some point, you know, become a threat on the main tour. I think a top 100 debut at some point is definitely in his caliber, in his range. But um, some of the problems with his game already were pro- maybe shown with in Koblenz, where, like, Klijan and Blocks can't handle his pace at all, and Molekar is crushing his second serve returns. The backhand looks insane. But then he runs into Rodionov, and, like, that guy can actually handle what Molekar is throwing at him from both wings. And that guy is fine with it. And, you know, what, what What? do you do then? However, I have to say that the backhand was still holding up very well, even against the lefty, you know? So, um I think that was pretty impressive. And uh, he was also um, like this one patch from 1-3 to 4-3, I think, in the second set. That was when it seemed like he might actually turn the match around against Rodionov. So so it wasn't like he didn't come close. He did come fairly close. Kolash, I mentioned. I don't think there's much to add. Again, he was really good on the Koblenz courts. But just against Nav, yeah, it showed that he is a little um yeah like not not too inventive let's say of the ground right and um I think that's maybe all we can say Martin Dam yeah we have an interview with him I think it's actually probably the best one this week so let's maybe just start with that this is after his win against Mikhail Kukushkin in the second round which was quite insane 39 aces and a very very long physical match let's let's head to the interview so um, you learned first how tough it is to play against in these flat strokes recently in Tenerife. So how did you handle it today? Um, yeah, to be honest, for me it's an absolute nightmare
2: playing against him. Um, just the, you know, the, way, the way he plays and the way he keeps the balls uh, low is, is very hard for me as a big guy. Um, and, and you know, there's a lot of panic going on inside, but. Um, You know, deep down, ideally, I just want to serve and and play aggressive, you know, my game style and and not really let him, you know, into his game and have him dictate with his, you know, with his backhand. As a lefty, it's especially harder because,
3: you know, my forehand goes to his backhand, so that's exactly what he wants, but um, yeah, very happy to win. You were always perceived as a big prospect, but uh, since Bratislava
0: last year, you're basically in the quarterfinals every week. Was there something specific that allowed you to, to have that
2: leap? Um, yeah, I mean, self-belief, you know. Um, obviously, I, I had a very good uh, junior career, very, very fast and very early. But um, then, you know, after COVID, I struggled a lot. Um, it was obviously, you know, mentally mentally very hard for me, uh, you know, to keep pushing and, and keep playing futures when, you know, guys my age or, you know, guys I was beating were, were already playing Grand Slams. But, um, you know, it's always just self-belief and, and confidence. And, you know, it was always a question with me. You know when it will when it will click, um, and, and I'm very happy that it's you know it's been clicking the last few few weeks and months. Yeah.
3: And lastly, could you tell me something about working with Jan Slaten? Say so that Working, working with
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I've, I've you know I've obviously you know my background is is Czech. Yeah. Um, and you know from from um, you know first CLTK in Prague, uh, I've been trained there since a little kid um, due to my father, and, and Jan has been there you know ever since mm-hmm. I was a baby. So. Um, obviously, we've known each other for a very long time, and, and we decided, you know, last last year to you know work together. At my weeks in Europe, and um, and if you look at our results, you know, in Europe, they've all been um, with Jan. And obviously, you know, thanks to, to the coaches at IMG, especially Mike Clausia you know, who's, who's who's worked with me every single day. So um, I have a great team around me, and, and I'm very happy, to, you know, to see uh, my success because you know a lot of it is, is, is
3: Mike's and, and, and Jan's as well. Thank you. Congrats on the win.
0: Yeah, and uh, Martin Dam, of course, is an improving player. I do really like his prospects after this week, I have to say. I think a lot of people are a little harsh on him with um, how they say that he's basic and pedestrian outside of that first serve. I do think he has—he's starting to have a lot more merit as a player, sort of overall, which makes it understandable that he has this leap now. That he is basically, you know, making quarters in indoor challengers every single week. Of course, he's already had the Oerash final this year. I think on the first volley, he has improved significantly, which opens up a, a new degree of aggression in his game against uh, Mattia Bellucci it was especially crucial in the first round the Kukushkin matchup as you could hear I mean it's just such a nightmare for him I agree however I think up until 7-6-4-2 and kind of went sideways and he fell off physically uh, he was really adding a lot of spin to these flat shots from Kukushkin forcing uh, Mikhail to hit that forehand on the run I think there was a lot of good aspects of that performance, even though eventually it ha- kind of had to get serve-based in the end. And against Travaglia, um, yeah, it wasn't a great showing, but he was battling through it. He found a lot of good out-wide sliced serves, which on these courts were excellent, uh, down BPs in the third. And then uh, in the third set tiebreak, I mean, yeah, he kind of blows it. it. It's fine not to put the return in three times on match points on Travalia's serve, but the plus one forehand that he missed on his own serve, that was just pure nerves. And honestly, Travaglia responded with the exact same shot two points later. So it wasn't like Travalia was, wasn't was nervous, but but yeah. And Dam is already playing Marseille Qualis. He beat Pablo Llamas Ruiz uh, tonight. And tomorrow he's going to play Maxim Cresi. By the time you're listening to this, you will already know the result of that match. But obviously it does project to be fairly close with just how big they serve and Dam even beat Kresi in Bratislava last year and now we also have to talk about a couple of players who uh, were eliminated early one of them maybe let's start with the guys that we have interviews with and then we'll talk about the comeback players of Krajnovic and Kližan again I'm gonna try to be pretty brief with this but um, you guys know that it's not easy for me especially when I was at an event and I'm just sort of um you know everything is floating around in my head very fresh but it's good but I, I i was actually like super pumped to record this and not only the Koblenz part um i also want to really talk about Piracicaba, bernie and uh and uh, cleveland and i'm really glad that uh this still gives me so much fun because, yeah, the, the Challenger uh, sort of finished. I have to record this today before I'm leaving tomorrow and, you know, have to take the train to Dortmund and the flight to Gdansk, but basically uh, it, it's not like I'm I'm doing this because I have to. It's not like I'm doing this because, you know, I have to do it right now. But I, I was just really eager to, to record this and I'm actually kind of surprised by that. Uh, maybe that, that that it's to this extent. But anyway, uh, this is off topic. We will start with maybe Jules-Marie and let's just put on on the interview because honestly he had he had some good moments this week but yeah let's let's just put on the interview and i'm going to talk about it later so um last just a couple of weeks ago you were able yeah. to return uh, to the yeah. Slam qualifying stage in australia how special was that for you that and also awesome. given that this was the first time you made not on your uh, not with a wild card but on your own yeah. Game? uh
3: yeah of course it was special because uh, two years ago when i came back on the tour it was my goal uh, mm-hmm. to participate. Uh, for Grand Slams, uh, I did it like uh, the last week of the of the year, so it was uh, really special for me. Because uh, in 2015, I I went to the I went to Melbourne, but I didn't enter. I was two alternates to enter in the qualies, so I, yeah, I was there, but uh, I didn't play. So yeah, it was really special. So yeah, it was a really good experience. I won a match, uh, I was, uh, one set up, uh, during my uh, second match. I was not, uh, I was close to maybe win and uh, be in the third uh, round. So yeah, really special, good experience and I loved it.
0: Ever since you started that YouTube channel, uh, YouTube channel and also the crowdfunding campaigns, like the main goal was around girls qualifying. Mm-hmm. Now you're just outside the top 200. Are you also like aiming even higher or is this still the goal?
3: Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, if you are uh, 220 like me, uh, you can uh you can be like more so yeah my goal is to be top 200 soon and, uh, again, participate of course at the French Open. Maybe.
0: And, uh, you're not the only YouTube legend in this draw actually, because we have in the doubles also Felix Mishka. Mm. I think you know him, right? Because yeah. he collaborated. The, you know, what do you think of his work?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah we know each other. We already, uh, do a s- couple of videos uh, together. Uh, he, he, practiced sometimes at Morato Blue and I practiced there as well. So yeah, we, we met each other, yeah, two years ago, I guess. Uh, yeah, him here. We, he did a little video with me, uh, mm two days ago and one day ago. So, uh, yeah, it's good. And uh, I think he's playing today. So I, I uh, wish him luck. Thank you. Thank you. So this was
0: after his first round match against Henry Squire. And, um, yeah, he, he did play very well there. Like, he was serving. Uh, probably the best I've seen from him. It was constant 200 plus first serves. It was 75%, I think, on first serve. He was barely losing first serve points. And... Um, then he lost 6-1, 6-1 to Stefano Travaglia in the second round. So, yeah, I mean, that kind of leaves the sour tastes in terms of that performance, of course, on Marie. But but honestly, that's also a match that I barely saw because I was, I was hoping to catch it right after something else ended on center. And obviously it was just done in the meantime so yeah um, I I can't really speak to his performance there but it was fun to still hear him talk about that uh, Australian Open 2015 which I actually didn't know that he went to Australia and he was second uh, alternate out and uh, that's why that 2024 Australian Open campaign that he had this year sort of making the first Grand Slam uh, qualifying debut you know on his ranking not with a French Open wildcard that was pretty big for him obviously and that was a fun story, I think. And also, we have one more interview coming with Alexander Blox. We've already had him on the show. Well, Marie, we also had in Vilnius, but it was like a long while ago by now. Alexander Blox, we've had in uh, Danderit. So just two months ago, of course, he's a developing player. So if I'm... At events, you know, with with next gen up and comers, I always try to to get them on for sure. Like we had Rune in Szczecin, for example, or Ben Shelton in Caliari. Rune, that was three years ago already, but but yeah, uh, that that's what I try to do here. And um, yeah, let's let's just have our uh, talk with Blocks after he got his first win of the season against Pachi Pericard. Your first win of the season, and given how nervy it got in the last few games, I guess there must be a bit of relief as well. Um...
4: Yes, I, uh, I've had some um, close matches uh, lately uh, and I lost them all unfortunately, but uh, it's important to keep going and uh, today uh, when I had to serve at 5-4, I, um, yeah, I was thinking a bit about it, um, So, and, but then when I got broken I, um, I said to myself, be calm uh, and then you have more chances to win and eventually I made some good points in the tiebreak.
0: Yeah, I'm happy to win this match. Being as young as you are, is it a bit easier maybe to handle some of these tough losses, sort of just put them as you know part of the learning process, experience? Uh,
4: for me not, because okay. I don't like to lose. Um, but um, yeah, it's part of it. I'm still young, so it's normal to lose more matches now. Uh, but the important thing is to keep going and eventually you will start to win the matches. So.
0: And also you're part of the main draw here based on the new next-gen uh, rules that the ATP introduced. Could you give me like a comment on all of that? Like, um, what, what do you think about these changes?
4: I think it's really nice that they give uh, more opportunities to the young guys uh, to play main draw in all of these events. Of course you need to earn it also to play it. It's not that you are lucky or something that you get these exams. So, uh, you have to make good use of it and try to play as good as you can, so you can jump quicker on the rankings and not use the exams. But uh, try to yeah get in just with the rankings.
0: So. Thank you. Congrats. Yeah, and uh, that was that was pretty fun uh, when he said that. You know, for me, not I don't like to lose. Yeah, it's pretty obvious. I mean, that's that's uh, how you have to be as a as a professional sportsman. Even you know, you have to be uber competitive. And um, Giovanni pecci Pericard. That was a very solid win for Blocks. I think, especially as he actually had to come up with that block, haha, no pun intended or maybe intended. I don't know. Uh, certainly, it will be it will be used in the future by me. But yeah, he had to find that block return against pecci Pericard. And actually, as he said, like it was clear that he got tight, but in the tiebreak he plays a few great shots, especially that forehand pass cross. And um, it did seem to me like, okay, so maybe he will actually restart himself, sort of, and, yeah, become a much stronger proposition for for the whole event. He plays Moleker and he gets completely dominated. So, I mean, it's just clear that Blox has a lot of learning to do. And uh, honestly, even if he might not like it, all of these losses will lead to something, in my opinion. Like, all of these losses will actually amass to him getting the experience and learning from it hopefully and uh yeah clearly someone like moleker who just had so much weight of shot he was on, on both wings he was really um making it hard for blocks to attack him he would ma- he was making it hard for blocks to stay on top of the point without missing too much the serve also wasn't doing too much damage because yeah it's that slower court in koblenz so, you know, it's an interesting thing. I mean, it, it, it's really fun to have blocks, I think, around this year on the Challenger Tour for so many events. At some point, he's going to have to start winning matches to, to sort of keep himself in it. But I think it's really fun that we're getting to watch him. Maybe my, my peak of, uh, you know, him for the top 100 this year, that was a little too much, but I kind of knew it, right? I mean, I was doing it as a bold peak. If it works, it's great. But I think for 2025, you know, once he sort of gets better with... With all this uh, experience that he gets here, with all these losses, but also the wins that he's gonna start getting soon, I still think he's a he's absolutely you know talented enough. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about the two comeback players. So we've got Filip Krajinovic and Martin Klizan. Let's maybe start talking about Filip Krajinovic, who was coming back for the first time since uh, Roland Garros. Well, not coming back for the first time—that doesn't make sense. But you know, who returned to the court? Uh, after from uh, you know for the first time since Roland Garros and basically in at the French Open he lost to TFO he had a pretty poor first half of the season actually playing a challenger last year playing two challengers even Phoenix the 175 which kind of doesn't count but then even Prague where he loses a couple of sets to Gaio Hoinski, and then loses to Stricker in the semis but that was pretty decent. However, at the French Open, he had this big interview where he said that soon some announcement, uh, announcements are going to come when it comes to his career, that he feels unhappy on the court, he had ongoing back pain. And basically, these announcements never really came, so we didn't know what to think. However, he comes back here, and I have to tell you, I mean, his game, to me, I mean, it's still there. He beat Vrbensky, he beat Ayupovich, he beat Peniston, he, be- he loses to Nakashima. I didn't see the match against Vvensky because I arrived in Koblenz sort of Monday, Monday morning, let's say even. So I didn't see the first round of the qualifying. But I was watching the one against Ejupovic in the final qualifying round and actually watched it with uh, Daniel Michalski. And uh, I, we remember just, I remember just sort of um, talking to him about that match, you know, among some other things, but talking about that match as well as it was happening. And it was just so clear that he um, he doesn't have anything special about his game, really, Krajinovic, which we kind of know. But at the same time, he was just so clean. I mean, every single ground stroke, you know, every single sort of piece of timing over Ayupovich, it was such a big lead. I don't care that the guy hasn't played for eight months. I mean, he actually uh, was sort of above that level. He beats Pennystone as well in the in the opening round, which was a nice test, And then he loses to Nakashima in round two, which is nothing crazy, obviously. He was pushing Brandon for a while there. He lost 7-6, 6-4. So I think for a first event pack, this was perfectly fine for uh, Krajinovic. I didn't get any points this week, by the way, in our winner predictions competition. In Koblenz, my pick was actually Filip Krajinovic and uh, that was a bit bold I remember saying that I mean I don't know I just don't know who's gonna win this I think Brandon is probably gonna be too tired which only happened in the final I was expecting it to be like maybe semis or something like that at that time I didn't know Krajinovic and Nakashima were going to be on collision course for the second round but I can't be disappointed about it either because like to me yeah Krajinovic's game is, is there as long as he's going to be uh, pain-free and also happy on the court, I think he's capable of returning. It, it just didn't seem like he would struggle watching him this week. Like it, it really seemed like he is still above most of these guys. And Martin Kližan, uh, that's trickier. I mean, Martin Kližan, this was really the first time we could watch him since the comeback. Because the ITFs that he played weren't streamed, I think. He lost to Snitari, then he lost to Demané. Which was a bit of a bit more of a surprising loss, I think, and uh, then he beats Borg here in the qualies, But it's just four games when Borg retires, and then he beats Marvin Miller. I think that was a pretty fun match. Uh, Klijan, uh, his serve was definitely quite okay compared to his, let's say, how I remembered it, the first serve at least, and all. But the backhand was, um, yeah, it was just. Pushy. There was a lot of loop on it. And it's fine when it's on his forehand. Because he uh, he loops it, but then he mixes it up with the slap. And the slap is still awesome. Like, the, the forehand, he hasn't lost it. However, after watching him against Moleker in the opening round, I do question his ability to ever come back. Because, yeah, Moleker just destroyed him. Like, if, if you told me that this was going to be the last match Klijan ever plays... I wouldn't be shocked. <laughs> like, I don't know what's really in his head, like, what he expects from this comeback. I don't think it's going to be his last match. But I wouldn't be shocked. Like, it was that sort of performance, you know? Where Molakar just completely demolished his second serve. I mean, yeah, it was brutal. It should have been rated R, what what happened to Klican's second serve in that match. And, um... I just don't know if, if this is really possible at this stage of his career. You know, he's 34. He hasn't played in two and a half years. So I'm way less optimistic on the Kližan comeback than the um, Karajinovic comeback. But well, anyway, it was fun to watch him. I actually have n- had never seen Karajinovic or Kližan play live before this week. So, um, you know, for what it's worth, I still, I got a bit of a kick out of this for sure. I mean, I I was glad to be able to, Uh, watch both Kližan and Krajinović as of course these are big names that I was just yet to watch live still and I don't know how many more chances I'm gonna get because Kližan might not be there forever Uh, and of course Krajinović I think maybe he's gonna be back on the ATP tour we'll see but for now of course there's gonna be a few more chances to watch him on the Challenger tour definitely as that's mostly what he's gonna have to play if he wants to return Anyway, I think with that, we can finally get to the doubles in Koblenz. Um, When it comes to the recording, I'm now at about 40 minutes. So with the interviews, it's going to be about 46, 7, 8, maybe. So yeah, uh, it's like the usual segment. I think that what we have uh, when I go to an event. So it's actually not that long. Uh, You know, I was afraid that I was going to be talking for... For too much there. But anyway, when it comes to the doubles, before I even talk about the winners, or actually maybe I should start with the winners anyway, because it's such a big story. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, Sander Arendt, Sam Verbeek against uh, Schneider and Wallner in the final. And actually both pairings I kind of want to touch on, because Sam Verbeek that was a big story, he breaks the top 100 with this run. And uh, if you guys remember the episode from Poznan last year, You know why I can even call Sam Verbeek a friend of the show. Uh, We—he actually hasn't been on yet, but he, uh, yeah. Again, if you remember the Poznan episode, I did have a very long conversation with Sam there. uh, Here, Uh, again, I would have um, come up to him, and and you know, after that insane achievement, breaking the top 100, that would be a very cool interview. However, again, I didn't want to ruin his season. So yeah, so I just came up to congratulate him, really. But anyway, that was a very fun week for me as well, watching Arends Verbeek, uh, Arendt's with that funky serve technique and honestly funky technique on everything. Uh, lots of fun energy as well between the two Dutchmen on the court. I think especially the semi-final against Harrison Willis that was a fun show Harrison Willis of course it's a pairing that you guys will also be probably very familiar with you know it is a pairing that definitely sort of catches your eye with Willis the Wimbledon 2016 legend and Christian Harrison of course who up until recently was a popular singles player as well and Aaron um, Zverevich uh, did BM seven six seven six, but the second set was such a nice sort of live watching experience. As the coach for Harrison Willis was just crazy. I mean, he was so intense. He was constantly screaming like, "Christian, you're the man!" And Will, oh, Marcus Willis after after a good shot, <laughs> it was so hilarious. Uh, but you know, the, the guys seemed like they they welcomed it. So um, of course, it was hilarious in a, just in a good way. You know, it wasn't ridiculous or anything. Uh, however, there, were, there was one moment where it actually got a bit dramatic because he, the coach, started signaling them when he was behind Aron Werbeck. He started signaling when they were gonna serve, but thanks to Sam's um, partner, who was who was there in the crowd she she showed it to to the guys or like told it to the guys and and basically they were able to shut it down very quickly with the umpire and um of course the coach was like no no I wasn't showing anything I also nodded to Sam that yeah I mean he was but it was just for two points but it was still very very fun well from a crowd member perspective you know if you're on the court and something like that happens and it by the way it's also not Harrison or or Willis's fault like they weren't encouraging him to do it but anyway uh yeah that, that intense because the the comeback there actually I felt like the coach really helped Harrison Willis there in terms of the comeback because him constantly pumping them up I think it really did give them a, a boost a kick and it was a very fun watch but overall Aarons Verbeck they actually didn't lose a set on the way to the title and uh, also like the top 100 I do wonder like in doubles and I would have asked them about it again if I if I was able to. Um, you know, come up to anyone at that stage without without endangering them with the with the flu that I'm having a pretty severe flu. I mean, I hope it's just a a cold. Uh, who knows? But um, you know, I'll be I'll be home tomorrow and I'll be able to rest up. But anyway, um, I was thinking about that uh, top 100 in doubles. It's like more of a symbolic meaning, right? Because top 100 in singles behi- before be, you know besides being like yeah, just, I'm one of the 100 best players in the world, which is an awesome feeling. You know, whatever you're really the best in terms of, um, you know, whatever category you're the best in in 100 in the world, that's amazing. But um, it also gives you slam main draws and it gives you a lot of ATP 250, 500 opportunities. Whereas when it comes to the doubles, you know, it kind of depends on who you play with, right? I mean, if Verbeek and Arends play, let's say sign up for a slam tomorrow, if there was a slam in March, they wouldn't get in likely. So if Verbeck plays with like Kolhof, yeah. If he plays with Rocher, yeah. Maybe even Krikspar. But if he plays with Arends, probably not. So so it's like more of a symbolic meaning to it, I guess, only in the in, in the doubles. But it was clear that for Sam it meant a lot, and um, again, very happy for him. When it comes to the other thing I wanted to mention, oh yeah, Schneider-Wallner, just just a brief shout out to these guys who are in the final. I really like their prospects as well. I mean, Schneider's quick reactions at the net, but especially Wallner's serve. that's insane. And if you guys, if you don't know them, I mean, recently they made the final in Buenos Aires and they were also, uh, they beat they beat uh, Arias Zeballos twice in South America. So that's actually a very strong pair to, to defeat twice in like two weeks. There, so um, it, they also both went to college, by the way, Schneider and Valner. So I, I'm excited to see how they keep developing, for sure. And when it comes to the other thing I wanted to mention, we also had Felix Mishker, and you probably could hear it, uh, hear about him already on that Jules Marie interview. Felix Mishker, if you don't know him, he had that tennis brothers YouTube, has that U- tennis brothers YouTube channel, and the Road to One ATP Point series which i think right now has to be rebranded and i think he has already rebranded it because he has gained that one atp point point. and uh honestly this was his challenger debut he got a wild card to the main draw with martin krishan playing harrison willis so it was a legendary lineup really you know debuting in the challenger tennis legend against a cult hero with a cult hero And uh, it was a pretty fun match. Felix did not look out of place. Sometimes at the net, maybe, but overall the the weird shot selection would rather be with Kližan in this one. And uh, yeah, I I, I just wanted to mention that he he did give a very good account of himself. I uh, am not maybe like a very regular watcher of Felix's channel. I, I do subscribe to it. However, it's not like, you know, I'm, I'm not there on a very regular basis. I'm not watching every match. It's like more so what catches my attention. Like for example, when he was playing Martin Pavelski or when he was fighting for that first point and got it. However, uh, I'm definitely going to tune into the one, the, this episode. I'm interested to see what he says about this match and also what he says about playing with Klišan. But uh, I, as a whole, I have to say that even if I'm sort of a sporadic watcher, I have over the years noticed, you know, so much progress in his, in his game and uh, it's, it's fun to see that, you know, that this guy who basically seemed like maybe he won't be able to get that ATP point, like turn into a, a real player and uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, of course, if, he, if not for the wildcard, he wouldn't be here, at least not yet, but uh, it's, it's definitely a good channel to subscribe to and to follow for the future. And I think with that, we can finally leave Koblenz. We can get to the other challengers, which were all 75s. So we have total freedom in terms of what we're going to talk about. Um, What I have opened up here is I have um, Bernie. So let's just start with Bernie then. Bernie was won by Omar Jessica over um, Alex Bolt. Um, As you guys know, I mean, because I was in Koblenz, I probably didn't get, get as much watching in of all the other events. You would think that because it's in diff- all in different time zones, I would actually get a lot. But Koblenz usually ended at like 10, 11 p.m., which actually made watching Piracicaba and Cleveland uh, um, impossible a lot of the time. And Bernie was like middle of the night. So obviously my watching was a little down, but I'm still, you know, I'm still able to talk about a lot of these results. And Jessica, he wins the second Charger title of his career. The previous one being actually, oh, I think I said somewhere seven years ago. No, it, it is seven years ago. Okay, thank you, because for some reason I I I, I knew that I said somewhere earlier maybe on Twitter, that was was seven years ago, and then I started freaking out that maybe it was in 2016. But anyway, no, it was in 2017, as I thought. But anyway, he wins Bernie for the second time, so he actually has both challenger titles at this venue. And we obviously remember him qualifying for the Australian Open just a while ago. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is a very good start to the year for him. He beat Hijikata in the second round, which, by the way, Rinky was my pick for the title. Uh, It was very windy, but, you know, Jessica just managed to use his game well the counter punching the speed to force out errors out of rinky and i think in the final especially he was just sort of yeah running around tracking everything down but you know it is his strength for sure and uh yeah it's a a very good start for the former junior champ, who of course has had a very rocky career with the four years more or less that he missed on the pro tour with the pandemic but earlier the cocaine ban as well uh right now he did have one of the best weeks of his career. He is back to around, uh, well, almost his career high, around 230. So maybe he can actually make Ron Garros qualifying as well. And uh, yeah, let's just see how much he can keep this going. I don't think he actually made like any serious progress with his game this week. Of course, we know that these Bernie challengers, especially these Australian challengers, post-Australian Open are pretty weak because it's only Australia, Japan, and like a few players from other countries, but it's still a massive week for Omar, of course. And in the final guess, Alex Bolt, again, he really tracked down everything, because Bolt was trying to play aggressive, as he usually does, both guys lefties, of course, but the efficiency, the execution overall wasn't really there, although he did play a bit more patient to take the second set, but then was like kind of back to the same stuff, and he also never threatened Jessica on return, which was pretty interesting. Um... I mean, he didn't threaten until the last game, like the very last game. Otherwise, he was barely winning points on return. But of course, it's also a fine week for Alex Bolt. He actually didn't get an Australian Australian Open Qualies wildcard, but he's also starting the year pretty well. Some big wins already. Seibov Wild, Mahac, Yamas Ruiz, Hir Uchiyama and Moria in three layers. He also crushed uh, Adam Walton, which was an impressive win. Even Stefanus Sakelaridis at the loss of just three games. That was good. And of course, yeah, he loses the final, which I think he'll be a bit disappointed by. But overall, uh, you know, over the course of his career, he is um, actually at a pretty big deficit in the head-to-head against Jessica, which is somewhat surprising. Uh, I probably mostly consider Alex to be the better player. Maybe, maybe not better, but like the one with the higher ceiling, if that makes sense. And then in the semifinals, there were two Japanese players, which as I said, it becomes like an Australian-Japanese affair. Uh, There's a bit of a throwback run from Shintaro Imai, because this is a guy that we haven't really seen playing a full schedule in a while, obviously. Back in the day he used to be like a top 300 player even, but um, yeah, it's been years since he had a good challenger run, and now he makes the semifinals. Is this going to be a start of something new? Who knows? I mean, he, he did beat Sekulic, he did beat Luke Saville, he did beat even like Romeos, in Isomura. So really solid wins. He also came fairly close to Jessica, but in the qualifying for the second Bernie event, he already lost to Alexander Klincharov. So basically, let's see if Shintaro Imai will he'll even play a full schedule at the age of 30 anymore. But uh, yeah, I mean, obviously he used to be a much better player than where he is ranked right now and He's clearly not um, completely lost all that quality yet. And Yasutaka Uchiyama, another Japanese, of course, he has been playing full schedules, but sort of just struggling to return to that grandson qualifying level, which I think is still very open for him. Like, I, I think that's in his range to, to get back to grandson qualities. And this week, especially the win against Polmans was huge. He could have beaten Bolt and that would have made his week so much better. Semi-finals in a Challenger 75, we know that they brought down the points a little bit more. But it's still, I think, a little less than winning at 25k right now. So it's still decent points. And of course, the win over Polmans is, is pretty big for Uchiyama as well. And then in the Burnley doubles... We actually had Bolt and Savi beating School Kate Walton in the final between the top, between the top seeds. Uh, pretty fun, but yeah, Alex Bolt was, as we know, as we can see, going for the double. He then managed to make it in the end. And with that, I think we can get to Piracicaba, which uh, was a final between Camilo Gocarabelli and Federico Coria, And this is the second top seeds final that I mentioned was going to be this week. I went for a crazy pick here, by the way. Juan well, Pablo Fikovic, I kind of overestimated the altitude in Piracicaba. Like it is decent, but it's like more like maybe Cordoba level. No, not even Cordoba levels, I think. And and generally, so, so I, I mean, a little higher, I think, even than Cordoba. But but it wasn't that meaningful overall into the results. Like Fikovic can be a very fine pick if you go Bogota, Medellin and, and the likes, right? But yeah, Piracicaba, that wasn't a good call. Anyway, uh, Camilo Gucarabelli beats Federico Coria, and this is also a pretty good final, of course. Top seeds again, as I said. Also, by the way, we had three finals between two players from the same country, country this week, which was actually in every single case, well, in two cases, it was the country where the event was located. This is the one that was different because Piracicaba is in Brazil and um, Camilo Gocarabelli and Federico Coria are, of course, from Argentina. And when it comes to Gocarabelli, he almost qualified at the Australian Open. That was a good showing, but then he loses to Murkel in Punta del Este. Uh, but here he was able to really uh, recover from that and never lost a set, actually, on the way to the title. He only had one tiebreak against Taberner. And I didn't watch much of his run, but I have to say against in the final against Korea, like it was a very tight affair, maybe. Slim margins, it kind of seems. But at the same time, you can see that all the small percentages are just in Ugo Carabelli's favor, you know? He is the guy who's going to be more dangerous on the offense he is the guy who's going to get more out of his first serve so especially with that touch of altitude in piracicaba he was always going to be like the player with a bit more chance a bit more opportunity to create things for himself if he's just you know playing well on the day and he definitely was like this was the the version of ugo carabelli who can still return to the top 100 and just sort of yeah take more risks take more initiative and not be afraid of hitting through his forehand and that's I think where he's most dangerous when it comes to Federico Correa he is in a bit of trouble now because he's gonna have to defend his Cordoba runner-up points basically when it comes to that Cordoba uh, 150 points that he's dropping I think it would put him at, at about 130 in the rankings if he doesn't so yeah it's, it is meaningful this run helps a bit, he beat Olivo, Torres, Mager and Puccinelli Almeida. And in the final against Hugo Carabelli, as I said, just not really a good matchup for him. He did try in the end to, to fight back a little bit, but it was too little too late. But still a solid run for him, and he actually avenged his loss against Renzo Olivo, because I picked Coria to win the title in Punta del Este. He lost in the opening round to Olivo, and he drew Olivo in the opening round again here, but this time he beats him, and actually at a bit of altitude, so I don't really understand that, but, but well. Uh, anyway, Federico Correa, very important week for him coming up, as I said, in Cordoba. Of course, it's an ATP 250, we actually don't have a South American challenger next week. Uh, Mateusz Puccinelli de Almeida, the semi-finalist, this was actually his first um, event of the season. I don't know why uh, you know it took him uh, a few weeks, but uh, maybe he waited until he was ready. Maybe he needed more of an offseason. But yeah, he played very well. He beat Wenger, Lavagno, Weiss, and then lost to Coria in a tight two-set battle. So, um, of course, Puccinelli d'Almeida right now, he's ranked like outside the top 300, but I think we all know that it's a little too low, especially when he's playing like with good focus and has a good well, even they at the office. Last year, he had just one challenger title compared to a lot of opening round losses, but I hope that maybe he can produce a more consistent season this time. And also Felix Gill in the semifinals, the Brit who has been sort of trending upwards. He is definitely much stronger on clay than most Brits. And well, no kidding with that lefty heavy forehand, which um, definitely makes him a much more dangerous proposition on clay than on hardcourts to me. And that's what he's been scheduling himself around as well the past couple of years. And uh, yeah, that was a solid run for him too. Beating Luz, Nato, Gakov and then losing to Ugo Carabelli, whom actually he did not threaten at all. He only won three games. And when it comes to the doubles in Piracicaba, we have a sort of back to normal situation with Androzi Duran picking picking up another title over Sakamoto and Daniel Dutra da Silva, uh, but yeah, Androzi, Duran, I think the last couple of weeks They weren't able to produce Well, sorry, it was only one week That they weren't able to produce a title They lost to Delian and Gomez But, you know, in terms of Androzi And Duran, that's already big, right? Like when Androzzi and Duran Don't win a challenger title That's when you're already surprised And you're like, what? I mean, they, they lost in a South American challenger And right now they restored uh, the The status quo, if you may and uh, one more event, we've got Cleveland, where Patrick Kipson beat Ethan Queen in the final. So another, uh, both players from the same country final that we had this week. This time, of course, American, indoors. Um, Cracked Rockets, by the way, is the on-site, how do, how do they call it? I'm sorry, onsite media partner, Alex Graskin has been the host of that uh, let's say the last few days of that event on uh, the, la- the last couple of seasons so um, you know we have to mention that well he actually didn't tell me to mention that but uh, that's, a, that's a fun thing to mention given we are releasing this show we have been releasing this show on Cracked Rockets for over two years now well I think it's actually gonna be more like free in two months and anyway uh, we have Patrick Kipson as I said beating Ethan Queen uh, Patrick Kipson I have to say he's made a big jump um, I think it became clear more or less when he played Emil Ruusuvuori at the Australian Open, that was a very good match, that especially when it comes to his first serve, it's becoming a real weapon. Like, he was a very, um, let's say, offense-oriented player before, but he didn't have that serve to really set him up for it. And now that he has a major weapon there, yeah, it's it's a nice proposition. I mean, if, if Patrick Gibson breaks the top 100 this year, I'm not gonna be too surprised. I think he would need to like keep maybe scheduling himself pretty well uh, for these American challengers, maybe go South Korea in April, but yeah, he is actually playing tennis of of that sort of quality right now. And and this run was great, I mean, to beat Navona and Duckworth in the quarters in the semis. Duckworth, by the way, was my pick for the title. And then even Queen in the final was a fine win. I mean, other than maybe the last four games of the first set, he was clearly the better player. But uh, Eaton did put him into like under a lot of pressure, let's say, with the forehand chip return, especially really putting him in uncomfortable spots. But then Kipson delivered like a very determined, composed, collected performance until the end. Then he actually started luring out errors out of Queen. And I think not only as a server, but also as a match player, he has definitely grown a lot. And this is his third challenger title, by the way. I I think I didn't mention, but for Ugo Carabelli, it was his fifth. Anyway, Ethan Queen, the finalist, of course, the reigning NCAA champion. And I have to say, I was impressed with him too. I mean, first two rounds, maybe he wasn't that great, but then he beats Kwiatkowski, beats Kudla, and plays some really good tennis in the final. Yeah, that cheap return was really impressive. Uh, He does play like a bit of a robotic play style sometimes, but he's also, uh, I have to say that there's a fair bit of Jenson Brooksby in his slice, I'm interested to see how he keeps developing because I remember saying that when he um, decided to go pro instantly after becoming the NCA champion. I remember saying that like it's a little early to do that in my opinion because he he didn't have like a very full package, but he's getting there. And I have to say that for both players, Gibson and uh, Queen, I was sort of turning this final on with like I, I've watched some of their semis and quarters, but not 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 the whole thing really. But um, I was sort of tuning into this final thinking I was going to see another one of these American Challengers final, where you think, okay, like, yeah, the, the level is okay, but if they were thrown into, let's say, Koblenz, any other European Challenger, I don't know if they would hold up. But I actually didn't see that. I actually saw both players who were, let's say, making real progress over the past few months. And um, yeah, that's very impressive. And Queen did not start the season well either. I mean, he lost to Vadim Ursu in Oeiras for example or even recently played an ITF event and lost to Bertrand, I think that's the guy from um Dominican Republic, right? And um yeah, that wasn't great. So so this run really helps for for Ethan. And then the semi-finalists, I already mentioned, Duckworth and Kudla, I think Duckworth was perfectly fine, we sort of said before the start of the event, as I said, I picked him for the title, so I said that the semi-finals were going to be crucial, because he can face Navar Kipson there, he faced Kipson, he lost to him, but on the way to the semis he was pretty good, so I can't really be disappointed with that pick either, and of course James can't really be disappointed with the beginning of his season either, not at all. And then is Kudla, semi-finalist. I think for Kudla of late that's still a decent result. He beats Keegan Smith, uh, Rubin and Sandgren and he loses to Ethan Queen where, um, yeah, Ethan was significantly better in that match. Which maybe might be a bit surprising to you, but I guess it, it kind of matters you know, what your expectations of Kudla are at this stage. I think he still did well to stay in the top 200 last year. He did have a couple of very good results at the end of the season, uh, especially. Knoxville final, of course, and especially the Columbus title. But, you know, the jury is a bit like out on Kudla right now. and, And whether he can keep performing at that sort of level or maybe get back to around the top 100 again. This week was good, but the first maybe very dangerous player that he ran into that first player beat him. So let's see how he keeps going in um, in the next weeks. And also when it comes to the doubles, we had uh, Goldhoff and Trotter. I have to say, George Goldhoff's game is a bit of a mystery to me still. I know he's had a lot of decent challenger runs last year, but I still haven't watched him too much. But he is at 217th in the doubles rankings right now. Which which does does feel pretty high? Just you know that that's my fault though that I haven't been watching him like almost at all. But anyway, when it comes to uh, of course um, them in the um, in the actual doubles here, they beat Blumberg and Lawson in the final, which is a very very solid win. Of course, uh, Trotter we are sort of a lot more familiar with, given that he's had a number of singles runs as well. But yeah, Blumberg Lawson were the top seeds and definitely the favorites in the final as well, so that's a good win. And the big story was also that Segerman and Trach finally lost, and they lost to Felix Corwin and uh, Joshua Sheehy. So um, yeah, that was uh, their third loss only, I think, to get in, uh, yeah, only third loss in 51 pro matches that they played with each other after winning back-to-back titles in Indian Wells this uh, year already. And yeah, with that we can get to match and upset of the week, as I'm recording this basically like an hour after, well now it is an hour after the Cleveland final was over, but I started recording like 10 minutes after, so basically the poll on Twitter is still very fresh, but in the poll on Twitter currently we have a lead for Hazemnaf and Oscar Ote in Koblenz, and that's the match I chose from Koblenz for the poll, because yeah, the atmosphere was amazing. So that's that's what I went with. However, I think there are a few fine selections. If I watched more of Bolt Uchiyama, maybe that would have been my favorite, but again it was middle of the night for me. Uh, neither of the finals was really that good. I think maybe other, other than Kipson Queen, it could have been a selection, but I actually think Kipson Nava was the better match. So I think I'll just stick with Nav Ote, although I have to say that Dam Kukushkin also holds a pretty special place in my heart this week. That was probably the other Koblenz uh, selection that I was thinking of. But overall, yeah, I think the comeback of Hazem Nav against Ote, it does have to rank pretty high. And I agree with, with you guys. Or, you know, I don't know how many people voting in the Twitter poll actually listen to the episode or how these two groups are interconnected. But uh, definitely the, the people voting on Twitter, they, they I think, chose right. And uh, when it comes to upset of the week, let's talk about that. Rodionov was a pretty big odd actually against Nakashima, but that that's ridiculous to me. I I consider it wrong. Simply, Ote over Harris, that's also wrong. I know that Ote hasn't been playing like he uh, missed two uh, months basically, but but still, it's Lloyd Harris who's clearly not that strong at the moment. Uh, Jessica over Hijikata, yeah was pretty big i mean rinky i don't really consider like a player who cannot be upset who cannot be vulnerable however yeah that was pretty big haliak over langmo no that that doesn't seem right to me i'm just looking at like the biggest odds basically um dutra da silva over rodriguez taverna no that's not that that's not that huge rodriguez taverna has also been a little um, injured, I think, recently. Trotter over Svajda, yeah, that was okay, but Trotter has this very aggressive game. And he can put a lot of pressure on everyone. And of course, Svajda was coming off that horrible performance in the Indian World's final. And I think the biggest one for the bookies this week was, was actually Van de Castelle over Kruger. Oh, actually, you know what, guys? Let's go for a quali's upset that I saw, because um, Justin Roberts was beaten by uh, this player, Vishva Aduru who plays for some fair grade college and then I watched uh, a bit of Vizhva Aduru's next round and I still don't know how he beat Justin Roberts so that's what I'm gonna go for, it was like 10 odds on Aduru so I think even, you know, usually we don't go for qualifying here I don't know why really I guess I'm just too lazy to check qualifying for this most of the time especially as you probably noticed I'm kinda doing this in real time these days before, when we when we had the show with Jakub, I was just sort of, um, you know, we, we we came in with some ideas, usually, when it comes to match and upset. Now I'm kind of doing this in real time. But um, yeah, I have to say that uh, Vishva Duru, that was pretty wild. I didn't see that much against Justin Roberts, but after watching bits of his um, performance against William Grant in the second round of the qualifying, in the final round, Yeah, I'm not really sure how Vizhva Aduru got that win, so I guess that's a very fine selection. And now we also have three um, challengers that are coming that we have to talk about. And when it comes to this week, we have Chennai, we have another event in Bernie, and we have Nottingham as well. So Chennai is the only Challenger 100, which clearly means that this is where we're going to go. And Bernie and Nottingham are the Challenger 75s. Wikipedia actually tells you that Nottingham is a Challenger 50. Usually it's right, like I usually don't question Wikipedia, not at all. However, the ATP Challenger well calendar calendar website it tells you 75 so I was confused I checked the detail sheet eventually and it it does say 75 of course the prize money is also relevant to that of a 75 so it is a 75 but anyway let's not bother with Nottingham yet although it is the best draw this week I have to say let's start with the biggest one in Chennai yeah, and there, of course, we remember that last year it was Max Purcell who won three Indian challengers in a row. Max Purcell, being as ranked as, ranked as high as he is right now, he's not defending his title. And the top seed is actually Luca Nardi. We don't have any top 100 challenger players this week. Nardi, uh, he plays a qualifier and then a qualifier or Borna, uh, Borna, Bernard Tomic. Then Akira Santillan faces Dan dead and there's also Kaichi Uchida against Stefano Napolitano, so this is a pretty nice draw for Nardi if we perceive Tomic as not dangerous. Uh, then Hugo Blanchet is the fourth seed playing the qualifier, and this is a wild one. I mean, this match can be horrible in terms of the quality, but the names are interesting. I mean, wildcard Nicolas Bacillashvili against Chulshin Tseng. <laughs> I don't know what these guys would bring, but let's see. And then we have a qualifier facing Enrico Dalla Valle, also Ramkumar Ramanathan, with a wildcard place, Rokabataya. Ramanathan lost a set to Isam Ulha Qureshi in Davis Cup over the weekend, but that was on the famous grass courts on of Islamabad, so I don't know what to think about that. But uh, of course, Qureshi by now is like 50 years old. Well, he's like 43 or 2, but anyway... Uh, there's also Yusu Suhl as the 8th seed, playing Moes Ekarkui. Max Kaśnikowski is here, playing Mukun Sasi Kumar. I like this um, this uh, scheduling from Max as well, to, to play this Indian swing, I think. Uh, it made a lot of sense after Uzbekistan, because we played Davis Cup in Uzbekistan. And also, yeah, it's just a draw where I think he can handle himself pretty well. Then Tunglin Wu plays Evgeny Donskoy, and the 3rd seed is Dalibor Sfercina. And we also have Aziz Dugas as the 7th seed playing somewhere Vincent Ruggeri, who recently has been getting some really good results, both ITF Tour and Challengers. And then we also have Dominik Palan against Artur Weber. Maxime Jovier plays Giovanni Fonio, And Sumit Nagal is the second seed playing a qualifier. So, um, when it comes to the qualifying itself, we also have another poll here, Olaf Pieczkowski. And there's a lot of Polish action this week on the Challenger Tour uh, here and then in Nottingham. Nottingham, of course, we're going to get to. But yeah, a few very interesting players here. I think especially Jonas Vorajtek. Who I know that for a while he was like doing really poorly, but I think it, it seems to me that Foratex game is, is back. I mean, when I was watching him just recently against Kyle Edmund in the challenger, he didn't win, uh, sorry, in the challenger, in an ITF match, he didn't win that ma- that one, but um, he was really good in all these British ITFs, you know, the way he beat uh, Durasovic, Adet, uh, Corignon, Shidek. Um, Krumich. Uh, he lost to Kingsley, he lost to Edmund, he lost to Fernley. I mean, I think it was a very good stretch for him. And honestly, I am thinking of picking him to win the title here. It would be kind of bold, I think, for Atec still does not have a challenger title at all. But I think it's possible, you know. I'm I'm going to pick him, I think. Let, let's see. Um. Anyway, in the qualifying, as I said, also Olaf Pieczkowski playing Chris van Vick tomorrow would be good for Olaf to win it. Uh will he uh I don't know. Uh, uh Chris Van Vik is surprisingly good sometimes. But yeah, eventual Schelboim against Karlovsky, that's also pretty decent. Bogdan Bobrov, the second seed in the qualies. But yeah, that's mostly it. I think fortak is clearly the main story of the qualifying in Chennai potentially if he if he manages to deliver. But anyway, the the main draw. I mean Yeah. When I'm looking, however, like where the qualifiers are located. We might have a very big match coming up right away with Foretek Because if you can see, I mean, a qualifier can face Nardi, can play Tomik, can play Blanchet, can play Dalla Valle, Sfrcina or Nagal. So basically the top four seeds are facing a qualifier. <laughs> top four seeds and Bernard Tomik, who's like the top seed, ev- you know, every single event. Just, just simply, I mean, no matter the ranking, no matter the actual seeding. Bernard Tomić is the first seed in our hearts. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, I probably shouldn't go for a like, like probably the smart call is just to go with Nardi or Nogal. When it comes to Nardi, uh, I think he should go deep. I do know he has a tendency to blow things like that maybe and uh, last year I remember picking him for every single one of these events and he made one final so it wasn't that bad but he did not beat Max Purcell and he actually didn't come close now Max Purcell is not here yeah I'm basically just thinking whether to go Nardi or Nagal I think Jovier still is in two feet but that's potentially a dangerous opponent for Nagal. Fonio is as well. Palan or Vincent Ruggeri. Palan was serving really well, I remember, the, the last year in these events Chennai, uh, Pune, Bengal- Bangalore. And I think now we also have New Delhi at the end. So it's four ch- Indian challengers in a row. Dominic Palan could be dangerous as well. So I think as a whole, I like Nardi's draw a little bit more. But again, wherever for Aitek lands, if he qualifies, I think it could really shake things up. I hope that Foretek lands. Well, part of me just hopes that Foretek lands against Nardi or Nagal because then we have the biggest matches. Svrcina would be fun as well because I think they played the challenger final against each other a couple of years ago in Prague. That was two thousand two. No, no, that that was a semifinal. Sorry, that was the one where. where I think Svcina won eventually the title, but that was a semi between them. But yeah, of course, they are. Um, they, they also won the Australian Open doubles title and um, in juniors together, Svchina and Foraytek. So that would be really fun. But uh, part of me also for, wants Foraytek to land in an easier section because he could really go deep and we could get that Nardi or Nagal match uh, in the semifinals, for example, for him. So yeah, anyway, uh, wh- what am I going with here? I'm gonna try Luca Nardi. There's a bit of a better chance that Foraytek lands there in his section because you've got two out of six in the qualies. Uh, you've got two qualifiers there, but... Yeah, I'm gonna try Luca Nardi. I don't know. I, I guess I just like his draw slash trust him a little more than Nagal. I don't know if that's actually right. But but I think it's basically a, a choice between Nardi and Nagal with Foraytek to me being like this uh, very trendy uh, sort of of the beaten track, selection here. Anyway, let's get to Bernie and let's leave that Nottingham draw, which, as I said, is the best. Let's leave that for last, actually. And in Bernie, we kind of have the same story with, I think, two major shake-ups. One major shake-up is that we have um, we we don't have Rinky Hijikata anymore. This is a major shake-up, of course, and I think that changes the landscape of the event. You know. A lot. too is the other change, and that's the change that we actually have in the event now. And I think that's also someone who could change up stuff here. Anyway, um, of course, the defending champion is sort of Omar Jessica from last week. But anyway, Adam Walton, the top seed, he plays a qualifier and then another qualifier. There's a lot of qualifiers there. Moriaf places Dela Vidova, Shazal against Sekulic. So again, a French player, but Shazal is from New Caledonia, so that's not really... a uh, you know that's not really a true foreign player for this for this region. Two Sakalaridis. Sakalaridis was also in the first event. Haliak was also in the first event. He plays Takahashi. Jassika faces Hayden Jones, the very talented Australian junior. Delaney faces School Kate. McCabe against Ellis. Savi faces Ben Locke. Ben Locke was uh, is a new addition here because Ben Locke was actually playing Davis Cup and playing, well, he he played Hong Kong, I think, away, or he Zimbabwe, and Ben Locke actually was one of the reasons why they lost. He he lost this match to um, not even Coleman Wong, and then also in the doubles, he and Courtney got double bageled, uh, sorry, not double bageled, but 6-4-6 love, I think, against Coleman Wong, and I think also uh, Hong. Um, yeah, Hong, I think, is the guy's name. But anyway, yeah, so Ben Locke was actually uh, one of the let's say, uh, players who kind of disappointed for their countries this week. So let's see how he bounces back from that. Anyway, Makoto Ochi faces a qualifier. There's Noguchi Sweeney. That's one of the best round ones to me. And we also have Uchiyama playing a qualifier. Matt Holme plays a qualifier. There's Christian Langbo playing a qualifier. Langbo was also in the first event, sort of from the you know players who aren't Australian or Japanese. And we also have Bolt against Shimizu, which is so huge. And I absolutely have no clue who's going to win it either. And if memory serves right, I think Shimizu is also new, right? I mean, yeah, Shimizu also wasn't in the first event. So I guess Shimizu and toward are the, the big uh, names that are arriving instead of Hijikata and could really shake things up. When it comes to the qualifying, we've got Mochizuki, but not Shintaro, Yuki, that could be a dangerous player. Very interested in Andrew, Andre um, Andre Lagan because he, as we remember, was in that Indian Wells quarter semi, semi actually I think right he beat Kwiatkowski, and then he lost in the semis and he seems to have a lot more game than we fought initially so I'm interested to see what he does here and I guess that's probably mostly what's exciting about the qualifying field I would say so so I'm probably not looking at them Adam Walton he got blown out by Bolt but he does have this very Mm, qualifier heavy section at first so i think i might just go with adam walton shazal against sekulic yeah i don't don't trust sekulic at the moment i don't know if i trust litui there to win five matches shimizu faces bolt in the first round and that's a problem yeah let's just go with adam walton i'm going with the top seed for the second time in a row but well what can I do? I'm not going to be going with the top seed in Nottingham. I can promise you that. Nottingham anyway, that's the first edition of this challenger. And we've got Jan Hojinski as the top seed. And that's why I'm not going to be going for him. I mean, nothing against Jan Hojinski, but he actually withdrew from Koblenz, which is his home event. So I don't know how fit he is. He faces Dimitar Kuzmanov, then Mario requalifier, then Kukushkin requalifier a qualifier is also in that quarter. And Edmund Delors, so Kyle Edmund is back to the challenger level. And he was excellent in these British ITFs to start the year. I think he lost like a very good match against Corigno and then won two titles in a row. So, I mean, this is really the moment, you know. Yoris Delort got blown out by Idukovic in Davis Cup. So I think Kyle actually has a very winnable match there. I don't think it's Monday. I think it's going to be on Tuesday yeah, because we already have the schedule. So I think Kyle has a winnable match there and uh, i wonder if i can pick him probably not but i mean he's gonna be dangerous Zdenek Kolash is the third seed playing a qualifier and then a qualifier or Krajinovic we also have Bellucci playing Martino and Bidi Harris is the eighth seed playing a qualifier and uh, we also have Richard Giustino that's the bottom half already Royer against Blocks, that's a good one i mean both very talented youngsters Lamazine Andri- oh, youngsters may be relative with Royer, but still, Lamazine, Andreev, I like that much too, and this is good, Henry Searle, the Wimbledon junior champion, he's playing Abdullah Shelby in the opening round, so excited to see how Henry face, uh, you know, fares here, I have to say that compared to Edmund, I mean, I don't think he's going to be the favorite here, <laughs> right, I mean, Edmund is probably the favorite against DeLore, I don't think Searle will be, but yeah, I'm excited to see that one for sure. And then also bottom uh, quarter we've got Pennystone playing Pechi Pericard, Maestrelli against Guinard, Veseli plays a qualifier, and then Paul Job with a wild card plays Antoine Escoffier, which is again a very good wild card. I mean Edmund Searle, Job, what a what an exciting set of players here. And when it comes to the qualities, this is also really strong. Like, as you could probably hear, that, that that main throw is the strongest we have this week. We've got Pet Noza, for example, could qualify. I've been saying a lot of times that uh, he is, to me, like one of the most dangerous doubles specialists who like run, play singles from time to time. There's Brum Matusevic. That's a really good final qualifying round match. Marvin Müller can also make it. And uh, as I said earlier, there's a couple of Polish players. Filip Palivo will face Ben Jones, so I think that's doable. But uh, actually, now that I think of it, hasn't Ben Jones defeated Palivo at some point last year? <laughs> I mean, this is this is pretty random. And if I actually remember much like that, I'm gonna be surprised. But well, I had to I had to stop the recording and check actually. But <laughs> it turns out that they uh, they did they did play in 2022, so I wasn't wrong there. However. Uh, it actually turns out that uh, it was Philip who defeated Ben Jones. So maybe, again, uh, no reason to, to worry for him, really. And also, uh, we've got Katzper Juk back to the challenger level. I don't know what Katzper is going to be able to bring. Today he lost a set to Friedrich, some random uh, UK guy that I don't know. But uh, he also uh, recently just started his season with an ITF loss to Peczczyk. Not ideal, you know, of course Katsper is in a pretty rough spot game wise confidence wise right now. so I don't know if he's gonna be able be able to beat Alastair Gray. I think Gray, who came back after an injury and is looking pretty good is probably the favorite there. But anyway, yeah, it's fun to have four poles in the same you know in the same week on the Challenger tour and also three of them playing tomorrow in the final qualities round. If they all qualify, that would be something pretty special, I think for us. Uh, it doesn't really happen all that often. But yeah, who am I going for here? I kind of want to go for something bold now. I mean, I went with the top seeds in the previous two events. And I am just I just wonder if to go with Edmund or Krajinovic. And I think Krajinovic has a better section. So I'm actually going to try Krajinovic. Yeah, he plays a qualifier, then a qualifier or collage. That looks very doable for him. Uh, Bellucci, Martino, Harris, sure. I think Edmund, I, I like his chances to beat Delore. But then he has Kukushkin, and then he has maybe some other tricky opponents. Imagine if we get Krajinovic-Edmund in the semifinals of a challenger. That will be insane. Well, we did get Krajinovic-Nakashima in the second round of a challenger last last uh, last week. but And I did watch it live, so that was pretty cool too. But yeah, I'm, I'm just going to go with Krajinovic, you know, not thinking about it too much. That bottom half seems very open to me, so I don't even want to... like have any stab at predicting the, the finalists there like I legit think that Royer or Blox could have a very good run like the, the winner of that match or maybe Shelby. but yeah that, that's mostly what I'm looking at in that bottom half I think it's very open so yeah actually Edmund or Krajinovic I think they are my favourites I think one of them could go on a big run here if they hold up physically of course but Edmund seems a lot more ready right now than he was let's say 5 months ago so, yeah, I'm just going to go with Filip Krajnović, And this is it, guys, Guys, for today. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for staying until the end of this very long episode, of course. And, um, yeah, sorry that I couldn't bring you, like, maybe more from Koblenz, but I think we still got a few decent, uh, you know, just, just something to make the show a bit more interesting, something to uh, have a bit of an interval and, uh, you know, intermezzo and, um, well... Let's see. Uh, let's see where I can travel to next. Currently, I don't have any clear plans until like maybe May. I think there's going to be at least one more challenger until then. I just don't know where it will be yet. So uh, for now, I can't really tease you about any like tease you anything yet either. Uh, and uh, yeah, just. Again, thank you for being here. And as I as I said during the episode, I did have a lot of fun recording this. Despite my state, despite my um, throat hurting a lot now. But uh, we're, I'm going to be back for sure in a week. Hopefully in better physical condition to talk about Chennai, Nottingham and Bernie. And uh, I'll see you guys there. Bye.